Hello everybody, this is a sermon for Palm Sunday and it is based on Luke 19 verses 28 to 48. Three weeks ago I did some research into donkeys for an assembly in the primary schools. I found out some interesting things. Donkeys can live up to 60 years old. Donkeys are related to zebras. Donkeys have big ears to cool them down and a loud voice so they can communicate with family in the remote places where they live. But what I found particularly interesting was how donkeys have been used by humans over the centuries. Donkeys are affectionate and gentle, so they are safe for teaching children how to ride. Donkeys are strong and can transport heavy weights. Still today, humans use them to carry loads that they could not handle on their own. Donkeys are milked for the healing of sick babies in some places because their milk is healthier for humans than that of cows. Donkeys instinctively protect any vulnerable animals that they have bonded with. Shepherds put them with sheep because the donkeys sleep with them at night raise the alarm if a predator approaches, and even fight them off with a well-aimed kick. Donkeys are peaceful animals. Horse trainers put donkeys in stables with skittish foals to help calm them down. Here then is an animal that is gentle with the weak, protective of the vulnerable, healing with the sick, pacifying with the frightened, and carries the burdens that humans cannot bear on their own. When I found this out, I got excited. I felt a sermon brewing. Their hair even grows to form a cross shape on their back. I mean, come on. However, after I had excitedly eulogised over the characteristics of donkeys with the children in the assembly, I asked them a question. If you had the option of owning a donkey or a horse, which would you choose? Every single one of the children went for horse. After all I'd explained about donkeys, I wanted to know why, so I asked them. The children had three answers. First, donkeys are not very beautiful. They have large heads, big ears, and are a bit chubby. Whereas horses are sleek and elegant, tall and handsome. Second, donkeys are not very glamorous. Donkeys are owned by the poor, whereas the rich and famous have horses. You don't see the queen riding a donkey, do you? And third, donkeys are not very fast. Soldiers do not ride donkeys into battle because they would be sitting ducks. No, heroes ride fast horses. Losers take slow donkeys. The children all decided that an attractive, glamorous, fast-moving animal as watched in heroic films like War Horse and seen on Horse Guards Parade was far more preferable than a beast of burden. Little did they know, they had all just made the same choice as the crowds in the days following the first Palm Sunday. That wasn't until I told them, of course. It's not just children who think like this. None of us really aspire to being humble and peaceful. We would all instinctively prefer to be important and powerful. 
We would all rather be served ourselves than to serve others. That is why the lessons of Palm Sunday are still so important. Palm Sunday is the day Christians remember and celebrate Jesus entering Jerusalem as king. But he was a king unlike any other. So different, in fact, some instantly rejected him. How will we respond to the donkey-riding King Jesus today? Will we allow his reign to affect the way we live our lives? Before we can answer those questions, let us turn to our passage and see who this Palm Sunday King really is. The first thing we must realise about the Palm Sunday King was that he was the promised king. The arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem was foretold by the prophets centuries before it happened. In verses 30, 33 and 35, Luke deliberately uses the word colt to describe the donkey that Jesus rode into the city. Why is he so specific? The reason is because it ties the events of that day to a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, given 400 years previously. These are the words of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah foresaw the day when Israel's true king would ride into Jerusalem to bring salvation to all the people. Crucially, when he came, Zechariah said he'd be riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy came to be held by the Jews as a messianic promise. One day God would send his anointed king in the line of David to release Israel from oppression. For 400 years, as Israel had lain under abusive occupation, this was the promise the people clung on to for dear life. One day they would be set free. They would live under their own king once more. For 400 years, the people had waited and hoped, with seemingly no sign of this event taking place. That was until... Jesus appeared on the horizon. Jesus had been travelling the land teaching. And what was his key message? That in him, the kingdom of God was now at hand. He had backed this teaching up with all sorts of signs and wonders. Recently, he had even raised a man called Lazarus from the dead. Suddenly, the people were starting to believe. When Jesus began up the road to Jerusalem, sitting on the back of the colt, there was an explosion of emotion. All that the people had dreamed for for centuries was now coming true. God was finally keeping his promise. He had sent his king. It was because the people knew this prophecy so well that they responded as they did. They charged, excited, to the roadside. They laid a red carpet with their cloaks. They waved palm branches as their flags. They believed they were greeting their king. They sing out in verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, which these words come from, is a psalm celebrating God's deliverance of his people from their enemies. 
This is what they yearn for. This is what had been promised to them. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt that day, all God's promises were being kept. The Palm Sunday King was the promised King. The people knew again they could always trust God to keep his word. But Jesus is also the peaceful King. In the second half of verse 38, Luke records a shout of the crowds that none of the other gospel writers mention at this point. The crowds are so excited they sing out like the praising angels did on the night of Jesus' birth. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace. This king was coming to the city to bring peace. Luke was a doctor, an academic. When you read his gospel, you realise that not one word is out of place. Why then does he go to the effort of recording this cry from the crowds when the other gospel writers overlook it? Well, again, he wants to take us back to the prophecy in Zechariah 9, because there is something important that we have still not seen, and many in the crowds that day would soon forget. In Zechariah 9, the announcement of God's king riding a colt into Jerusalem is immediately followed in the next verse by what he would come to do. This is Zechariah 9.10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This king is clearly going to be great. His reign will eventually cover the entire world, but it will be realised in a very unusual way. Not through making war, but through making peace. This is where my opening illustration comes into play. Jesus is not like any other king. He does not come charging into Jerusalem riding a stallion. He does not arrive as Roman emperors did, with troops massed behind him and bedraggled prisoners from conquered foes trailing in chains in their wake. He does not come in raw power to violently throw out Israel's occupiers. He comes on a donkey. He comes on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the humblest animal imaginable, an animal that protects the vulnerable, calms the anxious is affectionate and healing, and carries human loads. Jesus really could not have made it any clearer. Yes, he was the promised king, but he'd come to serve, not to be served. The Palm Sunday king is the peaceful king, and his peace is still available to us all today. Jesus' arrival as the king of peace was so unexpected it instantly divided the opinions of those who witnessed it. This is the third thing for us to see. Jesus is the polarising king. Verses 39 and 40 tell us that not everyone greeted Jesus' arrival. First of all, you have the Pharisees. They rejected Jesus' royal claims. Indeed, the whole scene of that first Palm Sunday was offensive to them. The Pharisees were the ruling Jewish elite, and they did not appreciate Jesus' arrival into their land one little bit. 
Ever since his emergence, Jesus had consistently challenged their position and power. He had repeatedly pointed out how all their trivial laws and regulations burdened the people and hindered the vulnerable from coming to God. At this point of the proceedings in Matthew's Gospel, the children and infants present are praising God, delighting that their king has come at last. The powerful Pharisees ruthlessly try to shut them up. In Luke's Gospel, the Pharisees go on to say the same to Jesus' disciples. But Jesus has a word for them. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is significant. In Jewish thought, creation itself speaks when injustice needs to be avenged. If human beings are trying to cover up their foul play and exploitation of others, the rocks and the soil call out as witnesses that cannot be ignored. This is what is happening here. The Pharisees do not welcome the arrival of this king because his commitment to peace shows up their scandalous behaviour and oppression of those most in need. No one likes the spotlight shown on their misdeeds for all to see, so in the Pharisees' minds, this supposed king must go. But it's not just the Pharisees that turn against the arrival of this king. As that first Easter week continued, many of those on the roadside end up rejecting Jesus as well. In just five days' time, their excited cries of Hosanna will have turned to the blood-curdling shouts of Crucify him! Why were the crowds so fickle? It was because many were disappointed. They thought their king was coming to storm the barracks, trample on Rome, lead a violent revolution. They didn't want a humble king of peace riding a donkey at all. Their desires for bloody revenge had deafened their ears and closed their eyes to all that Jesus had been trying to teach them in the previous three years. Jesus knew the way to victory was through sacrifice. The way to peace was through service. The people were not prepared to wait that long or make the effort to understand. They too thought this unwanted king of peace must go. The Palm Sunday king was the polarising king. He still deeply divides people today and he always will until he returns again. We mentioned earlier that the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem was prophesied and expected from long ago, that he was the promised king. But so too was he prophetic himself. As Jesus witnesses the polarised response to his arrival, he starts to speak of what will come to those who reject him. In verses 41 to 44, Jesus has some stern truths for those who reject him and his methods. Those who keep choosing paths of violence over peace will suffer for it. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Those who keep rejecting God's help, his mode of salvation, will eventually end up with no hope at all. 
In these verses, Jesus foresees that soon Jerusalem itself will be destroyed. In AD 70, that is exactly what happened. In that year, Rome crushed Jerusalem because the people kept insisting on armed resistance. It was a devastating act that killed many women and children, and Jerusalem has never been the same since. Every word Jesus said here in these verses came true. But that does not mean he took pleasure in saying them. Quite the opposite, in fact. As he looked on those whose hard hearts rejected him, he did not celebrate their coming judgment. He wept over them. Again, he shows himself to be a king unlike any other. Even those who callously disregard him and actively work against his reign, he loves. His heart breaks for them. He yearns for them to see the truth before it's too late. The Palm Sunday King is the prophetic king. He clearly spells out future death for those who reject him. But that brings him no delight at all. Many people that first Easter week rejected Jesus because he came in peace, not in war. He came on a donkey, not a horse. But just because Jesus was not violent does not mean that he was not victorious. We know that by the end of the week he had won the greatest victory of all. A victory no other human being could achieve. A victory impossible at the point of a sword or the raising of a fist. The first thing Jesus did when he arrived as king in Jerusalem was not to storm the barracks, but it was to do something immensely significant. In the clearing of the temple, in verses 45 to 48, he demonstrated what he had come to achieve. What Jesus did in the temple was pioneering. It had not been done before. When he cleared the temple courts, he made access to the holy God available to foreigners. When he threw out the money changers, he brought justice to the poor who all their lives had been exploited. When he taught the people, he did so with such authority they had a new knowledge of God to a depth never known before. Matthew's Gospel at this point also records that he healed the blind and the lame, bringing a wholeness to their human bodies that suffering had long since taken away. All of these are signs of what King Jesus came to do. Yes, he had come to defeat Israel's enemies, but he knew the enemies that most needed defeating were not the Romans, but sin, evil and death. And his people received the benefits of that victory. The Palm Sunday King is the pioneering king. For those who believe in him, he makes the way to hope. Through him we have access to God, knowledge of God, healing from God, and the assurance that one day the world will be put right and life in all its fullness will be enjoyed forevermore. This is what ultimate power and peace together can achieve. So on Palm Sunday, as Christians, we celebrate Jesus as King. But we are to remember that he is a King unlike any other. 
He is the promised king, peaceful king, prophetic king, polarising king and pioneering king. He is the king that scripture promises and the whole of time points towards. He is the king who brings peace. Even in this time of coronavirus, he offers us a peace that will last even through fear, illness, bereavement and death itself. He is the king who polarises response in the world and always will. And the Bible is prophetically clear that death awaits those who reject him, whereas eternal life awaits those who believe. But he is also the king who pioneers a whole new way, who sets a new example of what it is to be human. I urge us all to welcome the arrival of King Jesus into our lives this day. But be aware, if we do, our lives will change under his reign. We may end up living more like a donkey than a horse, however humbling that may be.